You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. So more than any other church, the Philippian church, it was really dear to Paul's heart. During his second missionary journey, he goes to um, the city of Philippi, and he establishes this church. He planted this church, which was the first church that he planted in Europe. It, it was really dear to his heart. Even the members, the core members of the church, they were closely connected to Paul. For example, Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman. It says that you know, she was trading purple clothing, which means that she was kind of like a fashion CEO back in the day, a very successful businesswoman. Um, Paul meets this lady. She's a worshiper of God. Paul leads her to Christ and ends up baptizing her along with her family. And then Paul, he gets into a little bit of trouble. He casts out a demon from this slave girl uh, who was telling fortune because she was empowered by this evil spirit. I mean, the, the master was banking because you know, this, this girl was so good at fortune telling. And Paul, um, you know, he, he's bothered by this little, this little slave girl. Uh, this slave girl just follows Paul and Silas all, everywhere they go. And finally, Paul is so annoyed, that's what the Bible says, that he's so annoyed that he says, in the name of Jesus, be gone. And so you know, the, the, the demon just goes out of this slave girl. And while everyone was, was celebrating, the master was like, man, I just lost my fortune. And so he reports uh, Paul and Silas um, to, the, to, to the guards, and they get in trouble. They get beaten by a rod. They get thrown into jail. And in that jail, they experience this earthquake, and they meet a Philippian jailer. And so he, Paul introduces uh, Jesus to this Philippian jailer, and uh, this jailer, he converts. And Paul, he baptizes this Philippian jailer along with his family. There you have it core group of the Philippian church, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and their family. Now, Paul was deeply connected with this church. He had personal connections. It was, this church was special to Paul, not just because you know, he was the one who planted the church, but because this church, they remained very supportive throughout Paul's ministry. In verse 14, Paul says that it was kind of you to share in my trouble meaning they were really concerned about Paul, that they had the same mind with Paul. In verse 15, it says Paul mentions, uh, in verse 15, Paul mentions how the Philippians, they supported him, especially early in his ministry when other churches were not willing to support him. In verse 16, he mentions how he has received this financial support when he was in Thessalonica, not just once, but multiple times. In 2 Corinthians Chapter 8, Paul talks about how the churches in Macedonia, which includes the church of Philippi, they're in extreme poverty, yet they gave so generously. So you see this church in Philippi, it was a special church. They constantly supported Paul and his ministry. But there was a period where Paul did not hear from this church, where he did not receive anything from the church. We don't know exactly why. 
Maybe it was because, you know, Paul was in jail. Maybe because he was just traveling all over the place, you know. I mean, nowadays, if Paul had an iPhone, you can track, you know, track the iPhone, but there was no such thing back in the day, so it probably was hard to get in touch with Paul. We don't know exactly why, but now that Paul, he's in jail in Rome, uh, one day, all of a sudden, uh, this guy from the city of Philippi, uh, Epaphroditus, he comes, and he comes with this generous gift that the church has provided, and we see that in verse 18. So he comes, he, he blesses Paul with these fi- this financial support, with his presence. You know, this church is just supporting uh, Paul um, in, in incredible ways. So out of a thankful heart, Paul writes to the church of Philippi. That is the letter that we have right in front of us. And he says in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me, meaning I haven't heard from you for a while, but now finally I met Epaphroditus and I received your gift. And he says, you are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's not blaming the Philippian church for not supporting him for a period of time, but he's simply saying, I understand that you weren't able to, you know, reach out to me because, you know, it's not that you weren't concerned, it's not that you weren't praying for me, but simply it was because you had, you didn't have an opportunity. You know, you just didn't have the right moment where you could just send uh, finances towards my way. You know, Paul is saying that you were with me throughout my journey. I mean, just think about it. Paul, he's in prison. And in Acts 28, we learn, uh, we we can learn that uh, this prison was a special prison. Although he was able to meet people, he he had access to people from outside. Uh, He was still, you know, living in this um, confined area. And it says that he had to pay for all of his personal expenses. So he's in prison, he doesn't have a job, yet he has to pay for his personal expenses. So you can imagine you know, that he, 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 he doesn't have anything under his name. You can imagine that he has no possessions whatsoever. Also understand that Paul, he's in Rome right now. The Philippian church, it's in Turkey, modern day Turkey, so it's only about 800 miles away. So in order, for the Philippian church to give money to Paul, I mean, they can't, they can't do Venmo, uh, they, they can't do wire transfer, right? Um, they have to send a person, and that person has to travel 800 miles, right? They don't have cars, they don't have a direct flight to, that goes to Rome, so he has to travel uh, on foot, maybe on, on an animal, maybe by ship, but the idea is that it was very, very difficult to travel from Philippi to Rome. But yet, this church sent Epaphroditus, and he traveled for weeks just to reach out to Paul and give him this financial support. You can just imagine how thankful Paul is at this moment. But before he goes beyond anything, before he elaborates on how thankful he is for the Philippian church, he says this in verse 10. He says, I want to make something clear before I go into how thankful I am for you. Um, He says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying, I am very thankful for your gift. I am very um, just, you know, in awe of your support. Uh, It's very helpful for my ministry, but I want you to understand that uh, whether you give me a gift or not, I'm going to be the same. 
nothing is gonna, is gonna change. The reason why I'm writing this letter, in fact, it's not because I'm so thankful for your gift, it's just because I love you. That's what he says in chapter one. It's, I, have this, I have this affection for you in Christ Jesus. No, he's not just writing this letter to, to raise more money and more awareness of his ministry. No, he is writing out of love because he personally loves these, peop- love these people in Christ. Money is not the agenda. Paul wants to make that very, very clear. He says, I can live with or without your gift. With or without your gift, I will still pray for you. Like he says in chapter one, where he prays that love will abound more and more in their lives. I'll still preach the gospel without fear. I'll still press on in my walk with Christ and pursue this, this goal. I'll still rejoice always, whether or not, whether I have this gift or not, because I have learned the secret of contentment. In whatever situation I am, to be content. Notice that Paul, he does not deny his physical need. He says that I am in need. That word that he uses in verse 11, that word need, it's not just talking about financial need. It's, it's, it's the idea where he's lacking basic essentials. So what he's saying is, I don't have money to eat out. He's not saying I don't have money to just change my car. What he's saying is, I don't even have money to provide for my basic essentials. That's how broke I am. That's how, that's how much I have right now. Yet, Paul says, I am content. I am in need, extreme need, but I am extremely content. How? How can this man who is in prison, who is guarded by, um, by these prison guards, who has no freedom, who has no money, who has no possession under his name, who is being persecuted for simply sharing the gospel. He's just trying to reach out to people, and yet he's being persecuted. How can this man say that I am content? There's three things I want us to see in today's text about contentment, and the first one is this. Contentment is something that we learn. Contentment is something that we learn. It says in verse 11, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Contentment is not something that Paul acquired from a book. It's not something that he gained through attending a one-day seminar. It's not something that he automatically received when he became a Christian. Paul says, this is something I have learned. No, before this passage, Paul gives all these different commands to the, the believers in Philippi. No, he says, oh, rejoice in the Lord always. No, show your kindness to everyone. No, don't be anxious about anything, anything, but in everything, pray. These are all commands. But when it comes to commitment, contentment, he doesn't say, well, simply be content. Be happy. Be satisfied. No, it's not a simple command. Why? Because I think contentment is not that easy. It's, it's not that simple. It's not something that you can just accomplish through, through, the, through the mind or through, through the will. Contentment is something that, that takes time. It's, it requires a process. To be content, you need to learn how to be 
content. That word learn in the original language, it's not this idea where you learned it in one time, but it's this idea that you have learned it over an extended period of time. That's what he's saying. That this is something I have learned through the ups and the downs of my life. This is something that I have acquired throughout my journey with Jesus Christ. Contentment is something that we learn through a long process. It's not automatically given to us, and it's not just something that we can do with, uh, out of our power or out of our strength. Second thing about contentment is this. Contentment is not connected to the condition of our life. Contentment is not con- connected to the condition of our life. You know, when Paul talks about contentment, he doesn't say, I'm content because I received this amazing gift from you. He doesn't say, I'm content because I feel your care and I feel your love, your concern for me. Paul doesn't connect contentment with external things or conditions of life. No, he says, whether I'm poor, whether I'm rich, through the ups and downs of life, I I learned how to be content. He says in verse 11, I've learned in whatever situation, I'm content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Some other translations say, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. So in poverty and in prosperity. You know, I, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Paul is connecting contentment, not with circumstances, not with his situation, but something deeper, something that's not external, but something that comes from within. No, and this is so different from how we find contentment, right? Because a lot of times we believe that if my situation just changes, if, if it's just, it changes a little bit, you know, if I get a better job, you know, if my part-time job becomes a full-time job, if my six-figure job becomes a seven-figure job, no, I'll be content. No, we pray to God, God, if I just get that promotion, if I just get that dream job, no, I'll never complain. No, I'll be so happy for the rest of my life. And then the first day you go to work and you're like, whoa, God, why'd you put me in this position? I don't like my coworkers. I don't like the people around me. I don't like the working conditions. I don't like my boss. Man, God, what did you do? We pray for a husband or a wife. You know, we pray that, you know, God, if you just give me a godly woman uh, who's pretty, or if you just give me a godly man uh, who has a good job, uh, I'll be so content. You know, I'll be so satisfied. I will not complain for the rest of my life. You know, I'll live out this marriage in, in, in honoring you in every, every step. But when people see us, they will see your love. You know, if you just give me that one person. You know, we think... That, that, that one, that person is going to change our satisfaction. Sometimes we are sick and we pray for healing. Or maybe someone around you is sick. Someone that you love is sick. And we say, God, man, if you just heal me or heal this person that I love. No, if you allow us to overcome these physical circumstances, I'll never complain. No, if you just restore my body, just restore my mind. No, I'll just live for you. For some reason, we always think that our situation determines our contentment. We are always asking for more. 
God, if I only had this, God, can you do this for me? And I will be content. Here's the problem. God is capable of giving all those things. The issue is our heart is incapable of being content, no matter how much stuff that we have. You know, um, when, uh, when iPhone 7 came out in 2016, uh, I traded my old phone. I, I said, yeah, it's, it's about time that I get a new phone. Uh, I mean, I'm not really uh, that big. In, I, I'm not really a, a fanatic of technology, but it was nice when I got the iPhone 7, right? I can use my fingerprint to unlock the phone. That was nice. Um, you know, my wife, I gave my wife uh, my iPhone 6. I know I'm a bad husband. <laughs> and I, every day I was like looking at my screen. I'm, I'm comparing her screen and my screen. I'm like, man, my screen is so much better. And, you know, do you see how clear this is, right? I, I, I was holding this, you know, and so carefully. I didn't want it to drop. Um, I was so happy for a couple of days. Um, soon, Apple came out with a new phone, and now, you know, they, they came out with a new phone where now you can, they have portrait mode, right? One time, I had a friend, and he was taking a photo, and he showed me this thing called portrait mode. I'm like, man, man, you don't need an need a expensive camera. And I was like, man, if I take photos of Timothy with this, I'll, I'll be so happy. And I look at my phone, I'm like, yeah, it's time for an upgrade, right? <laughs> It's the same phone. It works perfectly. I still haven't used more than 50% of my storage. Um, I get calls. I can text. Internet works perfectly fine. But when I look at my phone, I don't get excited anymore. I get discouraged. Why? It's not because something changed about my phone. It's because something changed within my heart. You know, it doesn't take much to ruin your contentment, if your contentment is defined in things of this world. Now, that's why social media is so deadly, right? Because, you know, you had an amazing dinner with a friend, right? And then the next thing you go online and you see someone, you know, in the rooftop, right? They are, they, are, they have this, they're at this amazing party. And you're like, man, man, now I can't post my photos anymore. <laughs> You, you get a grade, you get an a, a in, in one of your classes, and you're like, yeah, man, I did well, until you hear that someone got an A+. Plus, right? You are excited that you got this new job, uh, that you're satisfied with this new company, until you hear your friend, you know, he got um, into a better company. Now, the moment that we become aware of what's around us, it's so easy for us to become discontent. It's not because God is incapable of giving you more. It's because our hearts cannot be satisfied simply by more things. Our contentment is not defined by external things. It has to be more than that. No, Paul has been through prosperity, and he has been through poverty. No, his, his entire life is a roller coaster ride. If you think about his ministry, just when you go to Acts 16 and you look at how he, how, how, his encounter with the, the Philippian church, one night he was eating this gorgeous meal with Lydia, this fashion CEO, and then the next night he's in jail singing hymns, you know, all beaten up. 
talk about, you know, a, 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 a drastic change, right? One night, he's like enjoying this amazing food. I don't know even if he even got to eat in jail. Now, that's, his, that's the story of his life, right? Sometimes he's accepted by people, that, that people come to Christ. Other times, you know, people are out there just to kill him. You know, and through all that, through the highs and lows, through the ups and downs of life, he comes to this conclusion. He says, you know, there's no need to get too hyped up when things are going okay, when you are in prosperity, and there's no need to be too discouraged when you are experiencing poverty. Because contentment, my contentment is not defined by the things out there. It's defined by something deeper within. You know, you can have everything in this world and still feel absolutely empty. A new job, a house, a car, someone that you love, you know, vacations. All those things are good. You know, there are things that are given by God. You know, I think God created all those things. But here's the problem. They were created for us to enjoy, but they were never created so that we can be satisfied with simply those things. Now, just look at Ecclesiastes. This guy, King Solomon, he had 300 wives, 700 concubines. I mean, if you spend, uh, spend um, one night with a different woman, you still can't go through everyone uh, in three years. Right? That's how many women he had. No, he had so much wealth. He had all the fame. He even had wisdom. And you know what he says in Ecclesiastes, the opening verse? It says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Meaning, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. The guy who had it all says that everything is meaningless. No matter how much power you have, no matter how much money you have, no matter how much skill or ability or stability, comfort you have, you'll never be content if your contentment is simply defined by what is um, external. If we believe that those things will bring true satisfaction, I mean, those things can bring temporary pleasure. Those things can make us feel good for a day or two, but at the end of the day, in a couple weeks or in a couple months, we are going to feel empty again. You know, because the deep longing of our hearts were never meant to be satisfied with the things of this world. No, there's no need to get too hyped up in the midst of prosperity. And there's no need to get too discouraged in the midst of poverty. And Paul is writing this letter in prison. He has no freedom. He has no money. He doesn't have a single possession under his name. Yet he's saying that I'm satisfied. I have nothing, yet I have everything. No, Paul does not own a thing, but he's saying that I am happy. How? It is through Jesus Christ. So here's the third thing. Contentment is only found in Jesus. Contentment is only found in Jesus. The key to contentment is not simply becoming numb to your surrounding or your situation. It's not simply about having a lack of awareness about what's going on in your life. It's not about just denying your reality. It's about always being aware of Christ and all that you have in Christ. That is how you become content. It's not by simply just uh, just trying hard. You know, this world, um, when they talk about contentment, 
They say, don't worry, be happy. As if we can isolate our emotions from our situation. No, they say that, no, you have to detach yourself from your situation. Just be happy. Stay positive. The thing is, it's hard. Life is pretty brutal. No, there are a lot of things that, that, that should scare you. There are a lot of things to cry over in life. There are a lot of things that you should worry about. You know, some people say you have everything you need to be happy. You just have to try harder and harder. They talk about self-sufficiency. You know, the Bible says people are not self-sufficient, that we are simply messed up. However, Christ is sufficient. That's why Paul says, my sufficiency, my contentment comes from Christ. The good thing about having contentment in Christ is this. Christ, um, he never fails. His blessings, his favor, all the good things that is made available to us through him. Man, it never runs dry. If you think about John 4, this woman in the well, uh, Jesus meets this woman you know, asks for a drink, and this woman, down the conversation, she says, um, I had five men in my life, and I'm on number six. Why? Is it because the, the men were not good? No, it's because she was trying to satisfy her soul with something that was temporary. And what Jesus says is, come to me, and you will never thirst again. Jesus never runs dry. The Bible tells us that the key to contentment is not self-sufficiency, but is finding Christ, understanding that Christ is sufficient. In verse 13, Paul says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I think this is one of the most misquoted verses uh, in the Bible. You know, if you look at Athletes, I'm not going to name any athletes, but some athletes, they have this on their jersey. They have this on their shoes. And if you listen to their testimony, what they say is, because I have Christ, no, no I can knock my opponents down. I, I, I can hit harder. I can jump higher. No, I, I can win every single game. Nothing is impossible. I have no limit because Christ that is not what the Bible is saying. If you put that verse on your shoe or on your jersey, what you're saying is actually, it doesn't matter whether I win or lose. I'm content in Christ. And that's a great testimony, by the way. I hope that all athletes, when they are quoting that verse, that, that's what they're saying. That, you know, I mean, they're going to try hard to win. Uh, I mean, they're, they're going to try hard not to lose. But whether they win or lose, that's not going to define who they are but their identity is in Christ. This is not just a magical verse that tells us that we can do anything. It's a verse that alludes um, back to the previous two verses, saying that in any situation, no matter what life throws at us, that we can be content, that we can endure, that we can persevere, that we can pursue Christ. You know, contentment is something that we learn. It's not easy to learn because you have to learn it in the classroom of life, in the ups and downs. But you know what's hopeful? This means that your suffering, your struggles in life, your poverty, 
the fact that you're lacking something, it's there for a reason, that you can learn something from it. And also means that we don't, have to get, we don't have to get too caught up in the things that we possess, that we don't have to get too excited or carried off when we are at the peak of our life. Contentment is not connected to the condition of our life. It's not connected to external things. According to Paul, according to the Bible, it comes from within. It comes from your relationship with Jesus Christ. And this is not just something that Paul is mentioning towards the end of the letter, but this is something that, something that he has mentioned over and over again throughout the, the letter of Philippians. So that's the main reason why he's writing this letter. No, he's trying to encourage the believers of Philippi to pursue um, their calling, to live out their calling in the gospel, despite all the persecution that they're experiencing, despite all, all the things that they want and need, despite everything that is going on in their life, he's encouraging them to stand firm in their faith, to be united in the gospel, to be hopeful, to be joyful in all circumstance, to not be anxious about anything, to, but to pray in everything, to, to exercise and focus on what is excellent and good, to, to demonstrate kindness to one another because of contentment. That people don't have to get too caught up in the things of life, but because they are so satisfied in Christ, now they are able to focus on the real thing, which is preaching the gospel, living out the gospel. The reason why God wants you to be content in Christ is not so that you can just enjoy this happy state, but it's for you and me, for us to carry out the gospel, to reach those who are lost, to expand God's kingdom. So let's stand firm in our faith. Trust in the Lord. Be of one mind and one spirit, having our eyes fixed on this one goal, being content, satisfied, happy in Christ, because in him, the riches of God, everything that God can pour out in our lives, it's right there. Be content. Let's pray. So how content are you? Are you satisfied with your life? And what's that one thing that, that brings you down? That, that, that when you think about it, when you, when you just compare yourself to others, what's that one thing that brings you down in life? What's that thing that's holding you back from committing to the gospel? You know, a lot of us, we are so distracted with the things of life that we are so busy looking around, um, comparing ourselves with others, that, that we are losing sight of Christ. And what the Bible is telling us today is, is, to, is to be aware of the presence of Christ around us, to be aware of his power, to be aware of his provision, to be aware of his presence, so that we can live out the gospel so that we can live this high calling that we have in Christ so that we can expand his kingdom so that we can confidently say, whether I live or die, it's for Christ. I count everything else as rubbish 
because of the surpassing knowledge that is made available to me in Jesus Christ. Let's pray.